Is there any such thing as gardener imposter syndrome? Welcome to Into the Garden with Leslie. This podcast is sponsored by Color Blends Bulbs. I'm Leslie Harris, and I just haven't gardened so much lately. I have myriad excuses that I would go into, but since I have advertised this as a gardening podcast and not a list of excuses podcast, I'll be brief on the subject of not gardening. Happily, our guest this episode more than makes up for my sorry state. It's Laura Boissonneau of How's It Growing? Our plant of the week is, you know, I haven't done that plant of the week thing for a long time, actually, and I'm wondering if I should go back to it. Do you like for me to highlight a plant each episode? And oops, plant of the week is obsolete because now I do this podcast every other week instead of every week. That decision was based on needing more time for gardening. How ironic, considering how I introduced the show today. But hop on lhgardens.com if you like that feature, the plant of the week. Um, the, the plant of the bi-weekly time period. How awkward. I'll think of something better. And while you're there, I would love it if you bought me a cup of coffee to support my podcast. I will just summarize why I haven't been gardening much lately. It has to do with moving house and travels, which were curtailed because my wonderful husband Jeff got COVID. And I didn't. I, and I don't get that because I didn't even try not to kiss him or anything. But whatever. It's such a mysterious disease. Addendum, addendum. He's feeling fine. Sorry to leave you hanging. Very mild case. <laughs> so this new garden, this new tiny, tiny garden is sitting there waiting for me. You're going to hear Laura and me talk about her method of making her plants get planted into the ground. She leaves her pots out so that they're literally in the way, and that way she'll get sick of walking around them, and that way the plants get into the ground. Well, I'm just not in a rhythm here yet at this new place, and I definitely need to get plants in the ground, but I'm still feeling my way, and I keep getting interrupted. If I were to put all the plants that needed planting in a path so that I had to walk around them, well, nobody would be walking anywhere. In terms of how it looks here, it's a disaster. If, in an optimistic and self-congratulatory moment, I were to call myself a garden designer, and if someone had to look at this mess, well, then that person would definitely know that I have misread the manual on garden design. 70% of it is sort of, I kind of know what's going to happen, but I haven't had a chance to execute it. And 80% of it is like, I'm not even sure how this is going to work at all. And so that's 150% of a dog's breakfast of a garden. The only results of the initial strides I made before we took that last trip are an exceedingly ugly concrete retaining wall, very exposed, and bits of ivy where I clearly didn't understand that I had clipped a part that I had wanted to keep. And now we have a dead branch in the middle of the green branches. Neither of these betrays any sort of expertise or even much effort on my part. So I'm feeling a little down, dear listener. But that's not what gardening is supposed to be. So let me just dream for a moment as I sit here and think about what the next few days might hold. Optimistic thought number one. Hey, how about I make one of those moss and buttermilk slurries and put it on the wall? We'll be in town for the next couple of weeks and I could water it in to get it started. That might be cool. I've had some great ideas from friends about this wall and some of you out there on Instagram, what to do with a very exposed concrete wall. Painting it is an option, still an option. Trellising it is a good option, but I think the least expensive and the easiest first option is to see if I can grow some moss on it. So I'm going to give it a go. The second optimistic thought is simply to follow up on my inopportune cutting of branches that I thought I was keeping and remove the brown bits so they won't bring me down. That's a very low-hanging fruit, or rather low-hanging brown branches. The third optimistic thought is to begin the removal of vinca minor in the front sunny bed and simply start putting my sun-loving perennials into that bed every time I have a clear space. No thinking, just planting. I'll water them in, I'll mulch them up, and next spring at which time it becomes painfully clear that I was operating without a real plan, well, at that stage, I'll rearrange it to my heart's content. But at least in the meantime, I won't be staring at so many black plastic pots saying, plant me, plant me in the ground now, please. Optimistic thought number four. You're going to hear on my interview with Laura that for the first time ever in my gardening life, I bought no bulbs to plant this fall. That might not have been a mistake because there might be some spring bulbs coming that I just don't know about in this garden that I've inherited, but it occurs to me that as I remove the vinca minor in that front sunny bed, if I don't run into a few spring bulbs, 
then I'll know that purchasing perhaps a few dozen wouldn't be irresponsible and I could sneak them in right before Christmas. So that's fun, right? Okay, so it's Monday, October 2nd, as I pull these thoughts together. I'm hopeful that after you hear the interview, my garden will have advanced a few days in time and my attitude will have improved and there will be better things to talk about. But right now, let's get into Laura Boissonneau's garden. She is How's It Growing NJ on Instagram and How's It Growing in general on other media outlets. A lovely, cheerful gardener with a beautiful space. She does have her act together. So let's go to the interview. Oh, on a note on sound, Laura was actually sitting outside. I was lucky enough to see her beautiful garden behind her as we chatted. The sound came out pretty darn well, but you're going to hear some things that make it obvious that, hey, we're not professionals in some sound studio someplace. Enjoy the interview. It's very authentic, even the location. Here we are. We're back with a very good gardener who has a lovely, lovely Instagram feed that has gotten my attention because when I look at it, I just sort of calm down. It is, you know, white fences and a beautiful greenhouse and this potting fence that makes it look like you should have it in your living room. Her name is Laura Boissonneau and her Instagram account is How's It Growing New Jersey, but she wants to be bigger than New Jersey, right? Oh, yeah. I'm, ta- I'm taking the Florida moral by storm, Leslie. Um, <laughs> honestly, uh, just to, to reference that, I would love to be just How's It Growing, but you know how these handles go. So I could not get just How's It Growing. And uh, I actually did reach out to the people that have that handle. And I said, you know, I will make a charitable contribution. I offered to, you know, whatever. And they said, yeah, sure. You know, we'll get back to you. And they never did and that was like a year and a half ago growing everywhere else except for on instagram and that's okay it is that's okay you are in new jersey and new jersey is the garden state and that's that's a little bit of okay yeah so welcome we're going to talk to laura today all about her garden and how she communicates about gardening and because she does have a really large following on instagram and then you know melded with facebook um but then also youtube also and she is a you are a master gardener correct i am a master gardener However, I am very lax on my volunteer hours. They have, you know, they have the requirements and so on and so forth. So I got the certification and I did all that. But as life would have it, busy in the garden, busy at home, busy in life in general, I have not done uh, my fair share. Uh, One of my followers said to me once, well, I think that your Instagram and your YouTube should count as volunteer hours. I said, well, wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) But no, no, I, you know, I want to get out there in the community. I just don't have the time to do it. So I've got the certification, but I don't have the, the man hours out there as I wish I could, but maybe when, when life slows down, whenever that will be, maybe that'll happen again. (laughs) Cause you're so busy with your garden and then you have two kids at home, right? Your boys. Yes. Yes. I have two boys, Leo and Luke. Uh, they are 10 and eight. That's busy. So as you can imagine, all boys in this house too, we've got the dog, the miniature schnauzer Baxter, my husband, of course. So, you know, I'm kind of used to it at this point. I had two older brothers growing up, so I just, you know, I got all the boys surrounding me. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. So tell us, tell us about your garden. Exactly. You know, what kind of plot do you have? It looks to me and I'm looking over your shoulder at your garden, right? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I'm looking at this beautiful scene and I'm like, wait, is that one of those things that people do on Zoom where you can set it up and I could sit, I could sit in the Acropolis if I want to. No, this is actually, this is actually your garden and it looks so gorgeous with that greenhouse. Tell us about it and you know, how you started, what did it look like when you started gardening there? Okay. So when I started here, the yard was actually maybe twice the size. Yeah. So I I moved in here 20 years ago. My husband came along a little bit later. So I moved in here actually by myself. Initially, I wanted to live near my parents and um, I'm seven blocks away from my parents where I grew up, but the yard was a probably twice the size it is now. And we had a family room addition put on, which swallowed up half of an already pretty small lot. (laughs) So, yeah, so I had to start to get creative. And then a few years ago, I decided to, you know, convert the driveway into a vegetable garden and things just kind of uh, expanded from there. Putting the family room on threw up a lot of challenges uh, and changes. You know, I had things I had established over the 10 years that I was living here. And then I had to remove a lot of things. I had a koi pond, which now the family room now sits on top of where the koi pond once was. So, (laughs) you know, I had to kind of reinvent the wheel a couple times back here. Lighting changed you know, everything changed. So I'm kind of rebuilding it all back. 
again. Yeah. Yeah. But so it's a smaller <laughs> garden, Yeah, but a bigger house. Yeah. But there's still, I mean, like from what I'm seeing, almost every inch of it is garden. There's some garden, there's some, a little bit of grass, but I'm trying. Yes. Less lawn is more uh, my, my deal. You know, if I didn't even have any lawn, that would be okay with me. Maybe a little bit of a spot to rest your eyes and, and whatever, but more plants, the better. And I'm sitting right here next to the patio. We've had the patio here for 10 years now, and it's been lawn on the other side of it. And this year, one of my major projects was incorporating more plants right at the patio where we sit. So I can you know, enjoy the lavender that's right here and, you know, the bird bath that's right here and all these things that used to be back there uh-huh. and kind of try and bring it more forward. So yeah, it's nice. <laughs> you know, when I talk to people, um, I do some speaking engagements and I generally, generally you are an exception, but gardeners can be an older demographic. The people who have time for leisure and they're interested in it and it couldn't, you know, it's a lifelong passion often. And so I kind of tease about people with lawn and, you know, not people in the audience, but just say, you know, doesn't it frustrate you when you see a big lawn and you're like, you know, these people are not out having a lacrosse catch anymore. Um, <laughs> Bocce but, ball, right? <laughs> yeah, but your boys are, you're actually, you know, two boys, eight and 10, they do need a little space to roam. So you could be the exception. Do they get that space? They do. They do. But you want to know what it is. They don't even really want to be out here. They want to be like all their friends are out front. So they're on their bikes. You know, they're at an age now where they're playing out front with their friends and their friends' yards are much more fun than my garden. (laughs) (laughs) One friend up the street has a trampoline. So they're, you know, they're doing the trampoline. There's a basketball net that's also out on the street that all the kids, you know, get together and play with. So, you know, there's a lot of other fun things. They're more than welcome to come back here, but yeah, there's not, there's not an awful lot of fun things. But with that said, uh, my oldest especially is into gardening. So he likes to come. Yeah, he likes to come out and wants to get involved and wants to plant some things with me. So. Oh, good. Oh, I'm so relieved. I was so worried about these little little boys. Like, where do we throw the ball, Mom? No, yeah, no, no, no. Actually, the other day, he, he came outside to play, and he came back here, and he said, Mom, can I hang out in your greenhouse for a while? I was so excited that he even asked that. He said, boy, it's really neat in here, and he was kind of, like, looking at all the different stuff, and, you know, that, so that's fun. I love that. Oh, that's <laughs> wonderful to pass it on. So tell us about that greenhouse. That's a fairly new addition. Yes. Uh, so two years ago, well, three, I've been looking into greenhouses for a long time and there's so many different options up there to, to look into. So about three years ago, I started really kind of aggressively thinking, you know, I got this potting shed here. This is not serving any purpose for me. I would love to have a greenhouse. So, you know, be my husband budgeted for that, thought about it. I did way too much research and and just uh, drove myself nuts really looking at different companies and things. <laughs> so I came across VC Greenhouses, which is uh, in Canada. And my husband is French Canadian. And I thought, well, maybe I'll use that spin on it. He loves Canada. I'm just going to sell him on the Canada aspect of it. Yeah. He was totally supportive of it. And he mainly, I would say, 75% build it for me. So Aww. Love my husband very much. He is totally supportive. And since then, he's now put the sink in there for me and, you know, done a whole bunch of fun things for me. So, uh, you know, I joke, but he's a huge support in the garden anytime I ask him. So That's so I- great. And it's beautiful to look at. It's right. Oh, I'm staring at it right over your shoulder. <laughs> but how... How has it changed your gardening? What do you do with it? Oh, my gosh. It's changed my gardening and so much. So I really wanted to be able to grow things that I have previously not been able to grow here. I wanted to keep, you know, some citrus and some different fun things, you know, that, that I couldn't before. So I've got a bunch of things I keep in there over winter. I've got like a calamondin orange that I harvested 77 little oranges off of last winter, which was really cool. Yeah. And it's really neat. And I've got some tropical vines in there. I've got a fig, uh, an olive tree. I've got a Meyer lemon. So a lot of little things that are fun, kind of like a fun escape during the winter, you know, to go in there and kind of potter around when typically you'd be not doing that kind of thing. Really, it's gotten me more charged up in the garden in general, because I feel like there's so many more things that I want to do and try now as far as you know, starting my dahlias earlier and keeping them in the greenhouse, you know, all the different seeds and things you can start. And um, I just feel like 
it's going to grow more and more and get, you know, my, my interest more and more as the years go on. Cause there's a learning curve with it too. Like, sure. you know, the thing goes up and it, you know, what do I do now? What, what yeah. can I grow now? You know, yeah. there's so many different things. So initially I was really concerned over the winter time with keeping the heat up. And then I very, very rapidly realized this is going to be super expensive. Oh. So it was not sustainable. Our electrical did go up. And I know that there are other things we could do with solar and propane and, and all kinds of things. I even entertained the idea of having a wood stove out there so I could really like kind of garden in the winter. But it just didn't end up working out. And um, I keep it maybe about 40 over winter. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Above that freezing mark, you know, I can go out there and and uh, pretend to garden and get away from the noise inside the house and just sit yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and I'm sure on a nice sunny day, it heats up much above 40, right? Oh, absolutely. During the winter, it's it can get 60 in there. I mean, it gets quite warm, which is nice. And then on the flip side of it, um, you know, we're in the upper 90s here for a lot of the summer. The greenhouse can get 115 degrees in there. I should really get some shade cloth because it's too hot. Oh, Okay. So it's easy to see and, and, you know, great explanation of how you used it immediately. Like my oh, plants that, that, you know, those citrus and all these things that would not make it through can make it through at 40 and in they go. And then the seed starting and cool weather annuals, for example, yes. you could start your pansies or your snapdragons way early, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's especially exciting to me. I love pansies. I always feel like I am one of these gardeners that likes like basic, like, oh, that's so basic. You know, it's not like fun enough. I love geraniums. I love pansies, you know, the more basic stuff. But uh, yeah, I love it. I did actually grow some frizzle sizzle pansies in my greenhouse a couple years when, when it first came up. And so that was frizzle. Really fun. <laughs> fr let me just say that again, because it sounds like fun to say frizzle. Yes. Frizzle sizzle pansies. Okay. Yes. And they're very ruffly, very beautiful. Yeah. What colors do they come in? Mine were purple and like a creamy color. I found them from Klaus, Klaus okay. Dalby. Everybody loves Klaus. Oh, so, Klaus, you know, yeah. I, I take notes intently on the things he shares. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know he's, he's amazing. I can't yeah. wait to read his new book. Have you had a, your hands on it? I have it. It is on my coffee table right now. And uh, I've been thumbing through it very much. So, when the winter comes, I, I'm always diving into the books. Absolutely. And they're beautiful. They are beautiful. Have you entertained writing a book? Uh, no, I don't know. Probably not. I like to read other people's books, but I don't know if I could devote that type of energy into it or right. if it would even be something that would interest anybody. I feel like a lot of times, you know, the gardening is maybe getting a little oversaturated. I don't know what to say. You know what I mean? Like there's just so much to consume and it's like, where do I look? Where do I go? What do I do? And I feel like if I wrote a book, it wouldn't be useful. Aww, <laughs> so I don't I bet it would be. I bet it would be. Well, but you know, because you have your voice and you have your people who love to hear your voice and your explanations. And so let's talk about that. I do want to hear more about your physical plant, but let me just diverge for a moment into, you know, your aims in terms of YouTube, Instagram, your message, what inspires you to inspire others? Is it the master gardening or was it before that? Or what, what, what's your aim? It was really before that. Well, I've been gardening since I was a teenager. Uh, my my grandpa came here. I've told this story to a lot of people before, but my grandfather came here from Italy and he was a farmer in Italy and brought that love of gardening here with him. So that's my mom's dad. And so she was raised with the gardening and everything. So I was kind of like raised then with the gardening. I mean, I used to love to work in their gardens and all. So I think for me, my main thing was just kind of showing anyone of any age, any skill set that you can have a small little space, a small little garden and you can kill plants and it's okay to kill plants and, you know, make the time to do it. And just, you know, how really rewarding it is, you know, after a long day of work and chaos and stress and kids and family, I really do love to come out here and just, you know, take a breath, take a breather look at the birds, you know, the bees and dig up some grass and see where I can plant a new flower bed. You know, it's, it's yeah. really a lot of fun. So, you know, just really trying to appeal to people that maybe don't have a lot of space. When I had first started this garden, it was all containers for me. I had one raised bed that I grew tomatoes in and I grew a ton of tomatoes there. So it's, you know, it's not about the amount of space. You can do a whole lot in a, in a small amount of space. And so you're just, it makes you happy. So you want to spread the word to make others happy. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. That's the way I feel. And that's why I do this podcast. Cause I can talk to people like you and we can spread the word. Oh, yeah, for sure. So tell <laughs> us more about your, so what are the approximate dimensions of your yard? And from Instagram, it looks like it's fairly flat. It is incredibly flat. Uh, in fact, I wish that I could create maybe some little berms and, and things to make it a little bit more interesting, but boy, it is just a flat plane. And I try and combat that by trying to make layers where there's not by, you know, putting an obelisk here or, you know, a fountain there and trying to get some of that going, but it's a challenge. Yeah. I really thought about what I can do to make it seem a little bit more hilly. But that's not exactly easy when you don't have that. But I think, I mean, those design ideas are good. And and you still do a lot of container gardening. And that just brings it right up, right? Yeah, I love container garden. And I'll pop, you know, different flowers and and edible things here and there in the landscape. So, yeah, that's definitely, definitely something I am into. I'm like looking around and, yeah, it's flat, Leslie. It is so super one of the things that really really bugs me i'd love to have more more layering and more things but you know it's it is what it is i've been trying to soften the fence by adding like these diamond trellises and stuff like that so it's not so white and stark and just the and um so it's yeah. hardly that i mean on instagram it's just beautiful <laughs> and about how big is it you know just approximate it's super small it's less than a half an acre for sure do you happen to know the dimensions of the greenhouse? That's eight by 10. Yeah, <laughs> that I know. <laughs> so actually knowing that with the photographs on Instagram, that gives everybody, you know, a good un- idea of scale of the rest of it. So that's, that's quite helpful. Um, and your design style, how would you describe it? Okay. So I love like cottage gardens. I love English cottage gardens. If I could drop it all and move to England right now, I think I would. So that's really my vibe and my, I just, I love it. I love it. But I also like a little bit of formal too. I've added in like the knot garden. I have a whole bunch of boxwoods that I planted in kind of like a diamond pattern this past summer some big old native plants. Um, I'm not a native purist. I wouldn't say that. Uh, but I do think it is quite important to have a good portion of native plants in your garden. Absolutely. Nothing invasive in my garden. I won't, I will not do that. I have, I actually inherited some invasive plants that are creeping under my fence and I'm not at all that happy about it. So always be a good neighbor, always be careful in the things that you plant because you don't want to have somebody else inherit your problems, but cottage garden, a little bit of formal. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds like a good description. And as you want to add things, for instance, you said that you just added this knot garden. Are you the type who, you know, has it in your head and then you execute, or do you draw it on the back of an envelope or do you like map it out? What's your strategy? Uh, I would say I am very, I'm very much a fly by the seat of my pants gardener for sure. I, I am not really sketch it out, which leads to me changing things a lot. Unfortunately, I do end up kind of sometimes in haste planting things and then going, what was I thinking and changing it, which is fine. But with this, you know, I laid it, I took some bamboo poles (laughs) and like laid down the shape that I wanted. So at least I knew I could do it with the amount of boxwoods that I had. So I kind of just roughly sketched it out on the ground. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Garden hoses work sometimes for curvy, curvy bits too. The rope. Yeah, I use that. And do you happen to remember, because it might be interesting for people who are considering that sort of thing, what type of a boxwood that you chose. Um, I assume all the same thing. It wasn't hodgepodge. You went shopping and got little babies. Proven winners, color choice, sprinter boxwoods. Oh, I have some of those. Yeah, they're really, really nice. They are great shrubs. And what's nice is in the area that I have them planted, it's a mixed sun, shady-ish kind of situation, which these are able to withstand you know, both of those conditions, you know, because you have them as well. They're a nice shrub. The only thing is they will get tall if you let them. So mm. I may have a lot of trimming on my hands in the in the future. So that's the one thing to keep in mind if you're doing something like any type of structure with your boxwoods where you have a hedge, think about, you know, the size. Do you how much maintenance do you want to have? I don't mind because I actually really like going out and clipping and and fussing around with things so it doesn't bother me, but yeah, if you're not careful, next thing you know, you'll have a 4-foot 
much to worry about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and it, I agree. I, I love to prune myself, but it is good to know that if you're really interested, look at the tag, make sure that you understand where they say it might max out and then add for a little bit more. If, oh, if it's yeah. there long term, I mean, they can just keep going. They will keep going. I have some dwarf English boxwoods that I've had all of 10 years and I'm telling you, slow, slow. They are like, I don't know, two feet tall now, not even. Do you remember the cultivar? There are those cute little ones like Morris Minor or the, you know, that yes. kind of thing. I grow those, or I did. And those are so tight. They are adorable little mushrooms and they they really don't grow very fast at all. They do not. And But I, but you know what? I love the foliage on those the most. Yeah. They're so soft and just nice and compact. It's that kind that you, if you follow James Todman, I'm sure you must. Um, yes, yes. He'll give them the jiggle. You know, he gives yeah, them a yeah. trick. Isn't the little jiggle jiggle? That's kind of like what they are. <laughs> yeah, James Todman on Instagram, listeners, if you haven't checked him out, <laughs> you like to prune. It's like soft porn pruning. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it's like, oh, what's he going to do now? This is great. I love it. <laughs> okay, moving on. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the, you know, the day in the life. If you're gonna, if you, you know, gotten your boys to whatever practice they need to go to, and you want to get into the garden, about how much time a week do you dedicate to actually? and I don't call it work, uh, playing in your garden. Well, okay. So I would say on a weekday, I will, at night, after dinner, after homework, all is said and done, I'll come out for maybe about an hour, mm -hmm. you know, during non-summer. Summer, forget about it. I'm out here all day, every day, covered in SPF and uh, long sleeve shirts and big floppy hats because I did have the skin cancer scare uh, a, a while back too. Oh, no. So I will be out as much as I can in the summer, but now about an hour a day, weekends as much as I can without my family filing like a missing persons on me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I do. I like to come out as much as I can. I mean, um, I mow the lawn. I do everything out here. So yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Oh, wow. And you, would you call yourself a very tidy gardener? Um. Yes. On the areas that I am looking at that I, that I have in constant view tidy. Yes. I don't like to see a bunch of stuff like laying around and, um, or, or debris or anything, but in the areas that I don't see very often out of sight, out of mind, and I'll get to it when I get to it. I like to work on things in chunks and, uh, I've really gotten to focus on one thing at a time because, you know, as a gardener, you'll go out, you want to do something and five minutes turns into an hour and it's like, oh, but now I can prune that. And now I can do that. And how about I pull that weed? And you just, that ADD, that garden ADD kicks in and you're all over then. So I have this year really, really focused. And that's why I've been able to get a lot done uh, this year with the not garden, the patio garden. And I moved all the raised beds. The raised beds were in the old driveway area. And those were relocated now behind me next to the greenhouse, which is a great fit. They should be by the greenhouse and not off a of no man's land. It kind of ties the whole space together. So, you know, I think if it's out of sight, out of mind, my driveway looks like I just want to ask for a match and just <laughs> light it up and start over again. It's so awful on the other side of the house, but I, I don't like to see it. So if I don't yeah. see it, that's okay. And I can ignore it, but I definitely like tidy and, and kind of clean, nice you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, how much do you think, if any, in your garden, does the tidy or and then letting it go, you know, loosening your grip as you get farther away from the house, probably? Yeah. <laughs> do you think that the the less tidy bits can correspond with greater sustainability or, you know, habitat or anything? Do you think about that or? Uh, I wish that. No, like an area I was just showing uh, some people on Instagram the other day over on the part of the driveway we still park in. Mm hmm. It was all overgrown like crabgrass and things that are terrible that have unfortunately gone to seed. So now what? I cut it all back, but now I'm probably going to sheet mulch on top of it or lay some cardboard down or do something to try and suffocate all that grass out. Uh, no landscape fabric. That is just... That is just the devil. There will never be, never ever be landscape fabric here under a path, maybe, or under some gravel or something. Maybe, but I just cannot stand it. As far as sustainability, my lawn that I do have is predominantly clover and has been for a good part of 10 years. You know, there's no pesticides. I'm all organic here, no matter what. And, um, you know, I'm even careful with the organic sprays. I don't really even use any, any of that, you know, uh -huh. there's a lot of crazy things 
than pop up because of it, but a lot of really good things too. I'm noticing so many more pollinators and so much wildlife and things back here that I don't think would be the case if, if I wasn't leaving that clover and, and um, encouraging that kind of biodiversity in the garden and bunnies. I've got bunnies out the wazoo, but guess oh. what? They love the clover lawn. Oh yeah. They are in this lawn eating the clover over most of my plants. Now I might find a rogue zinnia like laying on the path sometimes, but I mean, come on. It's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. You know, and, I, and I like the bunnies. I know bunnies are like, you know, the gar most gardeners do not like the bunnies. I don't mind them. I've had them, a whole nest of them in my raised beds this year. <laughs> and I'm out here with an umbrella, Leslie, a little patio umbrella set up over these bunnies in my raised beds, protecting them. Like what kind of a lunatic gardener does that? <laughs> oh, no, you're, you're a lunatic. I would have had a pelican with me, not an umbrella. I think you're so right that if they have that better choice of eating your lawn, they will not mow down your, you know, flocks and snapdragons and all the That's things that they did to me this spring, which made me want to oh no. Oh no. do terrible things to them, which I didn't do. But I did, I did call them very bad names, Laura. I did. <laughs> very bad names. Uh, what you said you started gardening really, really early. And did yeah. you have that phase as a teenager? Like, are you kidding? I'm going to date these football players or whatever. Like, or did you stick with it? Or did you, did you have a hiatus? You know, I wouldn't, I wasn't intense like I am now. Like right now I'm like, this is it. I, I want to be out here all day. Back then it was more of a, you know, I would go out. I was curious what my parents were doing and I would get involved if they were involved. I wasn't, you know, redesigning my parents' garden for them. So it was a little bit more lax back then, but it was always there and it was always, you know, a part of me. And the first thing that I wanted to do when I moved in here was plant a garden. And I said, mom and dad, help me here. What, what do you recommend? What should I do? And we immediately, you know, put up a fence and started making some boundaries. And my dad's, you know, planting arborvitaes along the fence. That's not even here anymore. Everything has changed. But yeah, it's always been a focus for me. If not, you know, yeah, I mean, when I was in high school, sure. Yeah, we've got better things to do. <laughs> yeah, I had other things going on, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's very cool that at least one of your children is into it. When I was yes. raising my kids who are in their 30s now, it wasn't apparent to me that either of them was into it. And I was fine with that. I didn't force it. No. I would ask for instance, on my birthday or on Mother's Day, I'm like, here's how the day's going to go. You're going to bring me my favorite sandwich in the garden. So they knew how much I loved it, but they didn't need to love it. Yes. But now as adults, they do love it. One of them has much more time or makes much more time than the other. Do you encourage, um, do you say, hey, let's sit down and talk about plants? How do you deal with that with your boys? And what would you recommend for other parents? Oh, I do. I talk, they, they know, they know that, that, uh, I always have garden on my mind when they make me little gifts or things for mother's day, they've made me little flower pots out of Play-Doh. <laughs> so, you know, it's really, really sweet. They know that mommy loves gardening and they are here for it, but I am forever talking about like, um, if I'll see one of the kids on the block, that's their friend yanking on a tree, let's say that's, any kind of tree or, or a very aggressively pulling on a young tree, I'll take them to the side. Come here, boys. Come here. Don't do that. Let's not abuse the trees. Let's be nice to the trees because if you snap that branch off, it ain't coming back. <laughs> so, you know, we want to, we want to be nice to the trees and to all of the, the bugs. We don't want to stomp on the spiders because those spiders are going to kill bad bugs in our garden and help with natural pest controls. <laughs> yeah. So you're spreading the word. Yeah, I'm spreading the word and, and they love it. I'm always taken aback when they'll look out the window. We have a little breakfast table in the window here in our family room and they'll look out and they'll say, mommy, oh, it looks so beautiful. Aww. And the fact that they even notice that yeah. or say anything is just like, I don't know. I love it. I'm here for it. It makes me feel so good. Like, you know, the gardening is about me and my time, but I want it to be about my family too and making a beautiful space for them. Yeah. That's kind of how this evolved. I'm still doing a bit of web design, but I used to do full-time web design for 20 years. And in half of that, I worked in an office in Philadelphia. For another half of it, I worked from home. And I thought, you know, I can make this work from home space 
so much better. If I'm going to be here, I want it to be pretty. I want to be able to look out the window and see beautiful things and take my lunch break out in the garden or bring my laptop on the patio to work. And, you know, so that really, really pushed me was working from home to make the space pretty for the family, for my work, for everything. Oh, that's wonderful. I bet they all appreciate it so much. Um, you talked about native plants for a moment. Yeah. When you when you make a choice about incorporating something new, do you just lean toward natives or do you go hard? I, I think you're sort of in the same camp that I am that you find it important but mm-hmm. you, it's not, you're not a purist. Tell us more about that. I am not a purist. No. If I see something that I love and it's non-native, I will Google it. I will check out, you know, is it okay for my zone? Is it okay for where I live? Is this going to be a problem for someone else? As long as it's not invasive, I'm okay with it. I don't ever want to have more non-native than native. I'd like to have more native. Yes. I'll, I'll do things like amp up the garden with tons of echinacea. I love echinacea. So as long as I'm seeing those things, I have tons of agasashi that I've planted this year, the hummingbird mint, pollinators galore. So as long as I'm getting those things in the garden, it makes me happy. And if I want to throw a crepe myrtle in there too, then God bless. Yeah. And that's, and that's an adapted pollinator. There's tons of bee action. Yeah, that. For sure. yeah, so, yeah. yeah. All right. Good to know. Um, what are some of your favorite tools that you like to use in the garden? Do you wear a belt? And if so, what's on your hip? I don't. I basically, I use what was our one car garage uh, as like my, my shed now with all my, my stuff, all my gear. I love the power planter for planting bulbs. That is definitely one of my favorite things for planting fall bulbs, which is going to be coming up soon. Yeah. Uh, hopefully soon, soon. I'm, I have a box of iris here. I might use the power planter to plant the iris that's staring at me. I'll do this, Leslie. I'll take things <laughs> that I know I need to plant and I put them in an unavoidable space <laughs> so that I have to keep looking at them. Yeah. And if I don't uh, plant them soon, they're just going to grow legs and walk away, I guess. Yes, that's so smart. Like I either have to trip on this thing or I have to put it in the ground where I want it to go. Exactly, one or the other. But I love the power planter. Of course, I still use my shovel often. I mean, what what gardener isn't using their shovel? Um, I have this awesome pair of Corona loppers that, oh my gosh, I use all the time. Anytime I dig a hole for some reason, it's like there's this massive established tree root. And I'm like, where did this even come from? Why is it here? I don't know, but I need to get, so the loppers, those are very important. As far as pruners or anything like that, whatever is the sharpest, I don't yeah. care about a brand so much. As long as it's sharp, I don't care. I'll use it. Good for you. Do you do a soil knife or, or how do you weed generally? I do not have a hori hori. I have a hori hori knife, but I have never used it. Huh. I don't know why. Do you use one, Leslie? Yeah, the two things that are on my hip always are my hand pruners, and I am particularly about those because I experienced some arthritis, so I wanted to go small. For sure. And my that brand is Odkatsune, and they're they're not expensive, but they're small and sharp. And then um, I use the not a hori hori, but brand, but just like I think it's an AM Leonard, you know, twenty dollar. I have that. That's the one I have with the orange handle. Yeah, that's mine is have. no yeah. longer orange, but I think it was originally. <laughs> but I, I I use that all the time, and it's um you know it's a weeder, it's a planter, it's a, a serrated edge, so you could you know divide a perennial, all that sort of thing. So you know what I think you've inspired me to start using mine. It's just sitting there, and I'm like, I want to use it, but. You know, yeah, maybe for, yeah, dividing some perennials up or anything. Yeah. Going back to the one that you use for bulbs, what did you call that? Oh, the power planter, the auger. The auger. Okay. That works so well. And they come in different sizes. So I use the power planter to plant all my arborvitaes in the back because they great big earth augers. Oh. And it's such a time saver. I mean, if you're planting a ton of things, it really goes a lot faster. And is it attached to a to a battery drill or something else? It doesn't come with the drill. You get the drill separately and it needs to be like a certain wattage, like strength to to get that, you know, that strength going. I have a DeWalt that I use for that. Yeah, I love I love the power planter. I mainly use they have one um, that's about bulb size, but you can use that for annuals. You can use it for perennials. It's like sure. about the size of a quart, little quart container yeah. and it just makes things, you know, zippity zip right on through. Yeah. 
Do you happen to remember how many bulbs are coming this fall? I ordered zero for the first time, I think, in my planting life. Because really? I just want to see what comes up, you know, because I just moved. And so, and I'm also, I'm so unfamiliar. And I thought, I don't have the bandwidth for this. And I think it'd be more fun to really, really like kick myself next spring and like pre-order because I'm so excited for the spring of 2025. But anyway, yeah. tell me about yours. I think I have maybe like 500 oh, bulbs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I want to get, you know, some more alliums in my garden. Oh, I, I don't those. have enough of the tall ones. And I am like, I'm obsessed with those. I have the shorties, like the millennium and the serendipity and, and the little, little alliums that are blooming right now. But those tall alliums, when I see these garden accounts share those, I'm always like, oh, they're so cute. They're so good. Have you tried them before in your soil? What's your soil like? My soil is very sandy. Oh. Um, with, and then some parts have clay too. Okay. So it's really confusing. I have like crazy, crazy soil. So I do amend it with compost. I don't have a compost proper setup here, or I did have a tumbler at one point. I'd like to get to get a different system in here and a better system, but very sandy, some clay, good parts where I've made it good parts. I have grown some alliums, but not many. They do really well here, actually. I have this white one, Nigrum. Oh, I don't know them. Beautiful white one. And and, you know, they look great even when they're not in bloom, which I love. Yeah, they're just so stately and architectural. I was going to say, I think you're in luck with that soil because I remember growing allium for the first time up in, in my garden in Connecticut. So this would have been, you know, well, I moved, well, this would have been 15, 20 years ago. And one bulb would come back as three flowers the next year because they liked it so much. Exactly. And because I wasn't a very good water, because, you know, as most, I'm sure as most people listening know, the natural habitat for most spring flowering bulbs is a dry summer. And of course, we don't provide that because they're in our garden beds and we water our garden beds. That's exactly it. If you don't have clay soil and you do have, you know, well draining soil, you can have some really good luck with allium bulbs coming back and multiplying. Very nice. Good luck with that. I hope that goes well. Before I let you go, um, and I know you're a busy girl, we need to talk about a, a mutual friend, somebody down in Launceston, Tasmania. And I've been in Launceston, but it was before I met her. I think of her in my head as Nanny New because that was an old yes. Instagram. I do too. And remember, she used to get hacked all the time yes. and she would write like little notes that said, sorry, gardeners, yes. they're at it again. And I would see like, I'm like oh, they, they, they're kidnapping Nanny again. I know. And so this is our friend. Julie Hart, and she lives in Launceston, Tasmania, Australia, and she is the best Instagram presence there could be. Like, she, she always wonderful. brings a smile, right? Always. Her words, her her everything. I, I love her so much. And one of the things I love is, you know, it's beautiful there when it's not beautiful here. So right. I am like, so like drawn to her feet. It's like, oh my gosh, look how gorgeous it is there when there's like snow coming down here, you know? So it's really, really nice. And she's just so, so lovely. She's everything's so lovely. Everything's good. Everything's charming, but it's not insipid. It's like this morning no. I, I read one and I was kind of down because of some stupid things going on. And, and she just said, you know, sometimes we feel down and- like, wait, does she, how does she know? And, um, and it says, but here's, you know, here's something to think about and you are special and, you know, and then these beautiful little topiaries that she has in her gorgeous little garden. And all of a sudden I'm smiling. I love how absolutely real her garden is. There's a lot of pressure on social media, you know, to show those Insta worthy posts and what have you. I really don't want that all the time. You know, who wants to see that all the time? It's just, it's not relatable. It's not attainable. It can be off-putting. Gardens are messy. Oh, Gardens yeah. are supposed to be messy. And the gardeners that are making them are messy too. Let, let's be <laughs> honest. We are a mess. Okay? So, um, so yeah, I love the realness of her photo. I, I love, you know, that it's just that moment in time. She's not worried about if it's centered or the lighting or the this or that. It's just these are some beautiful words and this is a beautiful plant and we don't need anything else but that yeah, right now. Yeah. Well, a little bit of philosophy. Yeah. Sometimes a little story or poem that she makes up. Absolutely. I mean, she's so cute. Delighted. I'm glad you mentioned You know she's been on the show. Do you know that? I do. And I yeah. that was one of my favorite episodes. I love her so much. <laughs> oh, Lovely you know where I'm going on Thursday? Where? On Thursday, I'm going to the Philadelphia Garden Fling. 
Oh. And I will be meeting a lot of wonderful gardeners from all Ooh, over. Drop some names, please do. We'll be meeting the impatient gardener, Aaron. <gasps> Aaron. Who is coming, yes. And we have Dee at Red Dirt Ramblings. She nice. will be also attending. There's so many, I can't even begin to to put all the names together. So it's going to be a fun time. We're going to hit up Longwood Gardens first, yes. which I've been to many times. Beautiful there. And I'm especially looking forward to going to Chanticleer, which is the last day, which is only about 40 minutes for me, Leslie. I've never been there. What <gasps> oh, is you're going to love it. I only, I've only been once and it was just a year ago. It was beautiful. It was, I love Longwood. I, I love, you know, all these other ones, the Moors and all those ones in Wilmington and, you know, Winterthur. But yeah, Chanticleer is so special. You're going to love it. I can't wait to go. I'm so excited. And, you know, you make these connections on here. And and Erin and I have been, we're friends. I mean, like, like we're, we're, we're texty friends. We've been, Aww. you know, we've been friends for, for a few years now. And, and I really, really love her. She's a, she's a great person and a great inspiration to me. And one of the first people I clicked with on social media. So to be able to see her face in person and give her a hug, if she'll let me, if she, if she allows hugs, I'm going to hug I her. I am so <laughs> jealous because I would, I would join that hug fest. I would. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my dear. Well, I'm going to let you go because I know you got your garden and your boys and it's September and life is always busy for, you know, the school calendar right now. And um, I should say goodbye. But Laura Boissonneau, what a pleasure, you know, just another really good garden trap and everybody follow her. How's it growing and Jay on Instagram, but how's it growing in general on YouTube, blah, blah, blah. So, all right, Laura, thank you for the visit. Oh, thanks so much, Leslie. Have a great day. Okay. You too. Take care. We'll be right back in a few minutes to talk about what's going on in your garden now. I love talking to Laura. She's a breath of fresh air on Instagram, and I always enjoy seeing what she's been up to. Hey, I'm sorry if I sounded a little bit down in the first segment of the show. I thought I would improve my mood in real time, so I wrote that not-so-sanguine segment on Monday. And now it's Wednesday of this week after two days in my garden and I have these more cheerful thoughts. Well, first of all, I removed the brown bits of ivy, which I could not avoid looking at through my bedroom window. It took more time for me to whinge about those brown bits than it did for me to remove them. I did indeed find some evidence of spring bulbs that are already in that front bed. Not many and only in front. So I'm not promising that I won't be a sucker for a late season bulb sale, but the previous owner was definitely a gardener, so I can't wait to see what comes up. Oh, hey, speaking of bulbs, when I do buy them, I will get them from Color Blends, which is a third-generation bulb company offering top-size flower bulbs directly to ambitious residential gardeners and landscape professionals at wholesale prices. And sometimes, at the end of the fall, things go on sale. But if I were you and not me, who's waiting to sort of see what's going on in this new garden, I would have a look now and be aware that the tulip season was really not great in the Netherlands. So they're already starting to run out of various tulips. Be on your toes and go to that website, colorblends.com to place your order right now. Okay, another thing that has improved my mood, moss. So this was like serendipity. Instead of taking it away from some woodland path that would have made me lose a little sleep, I got it from a much better source. I have to use my little car, it's, it's an electric mini, as a wheelbarrow at this new place because I'm cutting way too much stuff, organic debris, to, to do the chop and drop method. Right now, as I start off, I just can't keep the organic debris on my property yet. There's just too much of it, and there's not as much garden space as there's going to be. Oh, at this time, the former teacher in me would like to remind you all that if you have space, any space at all, in the far corners of your property, behind a bush, wherever, to try not to offload your organic debris to a landfill. Don't forget that it makes good insect habitat. It makes good humus that you can harvest or just let it lay there feeding your soil. And it makes a good warm, fuzzy feeling in your heart. So what I do at this early stage is I fill up one big old trash can and one tarp and I drive it about 300 yards away to a dumpster that the crews, you know, the mow and blow crews use for organic dumping from all the properties all over this HOA. As I was doing that the other day, I noticed that there was a little well, actually several little lovely patches of moss growing in the driveway that led to the dumpster. So I scraped some bits up and I brought it home with me. A quick buzz around the internet where everything is the truth. So help me God 
taught me that putting moss in a blender with buttermilk or some other dairy product and a little bit of sugar would make me this slurry that I could paint on the wall and moss will grow. Well, we don't have a blender anymore. We moved a blender from Greenwich to Charlottesville nine and a half years ago. But as I was packing up the house two months ago, I realized that I had used the blender zero times, so off it went to Goodwill. My husband took umbrage at this, but I pointed out that we are at the stage in life that if we want a frozen daiquiri, we go to a bar and we order a frozen daiquiri. But I digress. Instead of a blender, I used my little mini food processor and slurried and painted up a storm. I've been watering it ever since, and we shall see what happens. At one point, I got a little playful and I painted my initials and Jeff's on the wall. We'll see how that goes. Many of my projects, I don't know about you, but many of my projects don't go as planned. So if I forget to mention this moss project in future because it turned out to be a dismal failure and I don't really want to talk about it, shoot me a message on Instagram or on the website and ask me, hey, how was your dismal, I mean, how was your moss project? Because we could all learn from my mistakes. Or I could say, oh my gosh, that worked. It sounded sort of foolproof on various sites on the internet. If it doesn't go well for me, we can always blame Al Gore. Okay, the last thing I wanted to talk about was the little slips of plants that I brought from my old garden. I tried to make it so that the only things that made the travel team were plants that people had given me, plants that I knew I couldn't easily replace, and in the case of my Empress Wu Hosta, which had grown to about seven feet across, I took a root system that would have been oh, about a 30th of the plant I left behind that I was stealing from, actually, but it probably would have been three or four times as big as what you were buying in a gallon pot at a nursery. Guilty, guilty as charged. I just wanted a big head start on my Empress Wu. Okay, in terms of the others, there was a failure. Let me get that out of the way. And the reason that I brought some of this plant, it's really quite easy to obtain, is that it was growing out of bounds and I would have either had to throw these bits into a pot or into my compost pile in my old garden. It's the hardy plumbago or plumbago stigma. Anyway, like your kid's sister who claimed car sickness all the time and got to sit up in front with the grown-ups because of that never proven illness, the hardy plumbago was not a good traveler and despite receiving all the care that all the other plants got, which could be defined as just enough not to die, it didn't show me any roots at all when I unpotted it the other day. So if I want that one, I'm going to have to go shopping. By the way, if you don't know that plant, it's one of the handier perennials to grow if you want symmetry in places of varying sun, because it blooms almost as well in partial shade as it does in full sun. Some more on that plant, just plugging it as if I were doing a plant of the week sort of thing. And I think it has been a plant of the week at some stage. Anyway, it breaks dormancy really late in early summer. It has low medium green foliage with almost a true blue flower. And it is a doer. It is very handy. Once it gets started blooming, it goes until frost. So it's really useful if you're looking to improve the succession flowering in your garden. It could take the place of bulbs, late season bulbs. It could take the place of cool season plants such as pansies or snapdragons. And then it goes until frost. So so yeah, the hardy plumbago. It's a really good one. Another favorite that I brought is a dwarf apricot colored iris. Very early bloom cultivar unknown. The foliage is a lovely gray green and only about 12 inches tall. It is always blooming during historic garden week here in Virginia and its foliage is really very well behaved all summer long so a little slip came with me. Two different daylilies also cultivars unknown and I don't remember exactly what I chose because I had a bunch of different ones growing back at my old garden but I bet you one of them was in that peachy apricot family because that's like my favorite color for that plant and another one, I think, had a double bloom that was very charming. Again, just to be clear, I did not dig out whole plants from that garden. I simply took tiny root systems of plants that I left behind. If you saw them here in my garden, you would not recognize anything that could fill a gallon pot at a nursery. If you saw the plant that I left behind having done surgery on it, you would not know that I did surgery on it because I am a good surgeon. So don't be thinking about a citizen's arrest here. The next one that I took little bits of makes me think of one that I actually probably should have taken bits of. It's a cousin of his. There's this light pink phlox paniculata with dark pink centers growing in my old garden. I really should have brought some, but I'm pretty sure I can buy it. I'm pretty sure it's called Bright Eyes and it behaves just beautifully with those pretty blooms and it rarely gets any sort of mildew and it blooms for a long time. 
The one that did make the travel team is one that I was chatting with Jenny Rose Carey about on our last episode, episode 105. We couldn't remember the name of it at the time. Gardeners do that sometimes, they forget. But I was able to get my act together in the last section of that episode. And if you listen to that, you'll remember it was called Fashionably Early Crystal. Medium height, really early blooms, white with deep pink centers. And it is a Phlox paniculata, but it's not like the others. It's cultivated to bloom really early. And the foliage is somehow darker and skinnier. And that repeat flowering and mildew resistance. If you remember what I said about it last time, I have had a real epiphany about this plant, the fashionably early crystal, because having moved it from mostly sun, you know, to full, full sun, man, what a difference that made. Such a great plant and really does well for pollinators. Two other sunny perennials that I brought and that are in the ground, hopefully thriving or saying, oh, I'm not going to thrive now because it's about to be winter. Anyway, the blackbird euphorbia, really cool dark foliage. I think I can buy that from other spots, but you know, I had propagated five or six of those guys from cuttings from my main plant, and I, I just couldn't resist bringing one. It was like a sort of a celebration of feeling disproportionately pleased with myself because of a successful propagation project. So yeah, I brought that. Also, an unnamed cultivar of aster, tiny, tiny piece came with me. It starts out so early, a light purple, kind of a lilac color, and it basically blooms all summer, light and airy. It would never be the star of the show, but it pleasantly fills in amongst other things. I brought the tiniest slip, Your Honor, so I don't think there's a case against me that will hold up in court. As you all know, when you sell your house, unless you're smart enough to list the things that you don't want to include with the sale of your house ahead of time, you sell all your plants along with your house. But you don't sell the plants that are in your pots. So I put a ton of things in pots even before the house went on the market, and I was able to bring them. I think I have one of each of a bunch of different ferns that I was growing and that Empress Wu hosta that I was talking about, plus the other extreme. I grew these teeny tiny hostas, three different types, each of their leaves only about an inch long. So little by little, things are starting to get into the ground. There is nothing to brag about in terms of how things look, but at least if I get them into the ground, they have a much better chance of living. As I start to clean up after myself, I mean the whirlwind of throwing pots around, the black plastic ones that I hope to get rid of, the beautiful ones that actually were containers that I have to either say, yeah, you're staying with me or no, you've had a good life and off you go. Anyway, some of them are tender plants and they need to go inside. Back at my old house, I had space for probably 50, maybe 75 houseplants. There was a huge heated porch. And now, well, it's a couple of windows. Talk about needing to curate a collection. It's definitely the time of year for you to start thinking about that, bringing plants in. If you have a cherished and beloved and handsome houseplant that is finishing up its summer vacation outside, just keep in mind that cellularly, it would not love starting to go through 40 degrees at night until you do like I do usually and say, oh my God, I got to bring that in because we're going to have a frost. And then it's thrust back into the much warmer temperatures in your home. To be clear, most houseplants can and do survive at 40 degrees, but the sudden change, that's what kind of does them in in terms of their good looks. So it'll survive that kind of treatment, you waiting to the last minute when you pull it inside, but it might lose some leaves or they might turn yellow and your beloved and handsome plant will just look like one of my ugly suckers, something you're trying to keep alive until its next summer vacation. And you can avoid that by bringing it in early. In the case of Clivia, or Clivia as some people say, but that plant was named after a guy named Clive, so yeah, I find it pretty easy to call it Clivia. Anyway, that plant, and maybe there's some others that I don't know about, that would love a little stress in terms of dry and cold before you pull it in. I'm going to put mine under my covered porch and just let it sit. I don't want it to get dusty dry, but I want to stress it out. And that cold and dry situation is what signals it to form plans about blooming in late winter or spring when it is in my house. I guess it assumes that this could be its last hurrah, and instead of being a decades-old houseplant whose biggest problem was a layer of household dust, instead it's getting the signal of, uh-oh, uh, I might die here, and so I better flower, and that will make seeds, and I just don't want to be the end of my line. You know, that's how plants do. They're just like us. They just want to survive. So as I said before, if you bring your plants inside before they are accustomed to low temperatures, they will acclimate more easily to your indoor temperatures. 
Lots of people do lots of things to make sure bugs don't come inside with their indoor plants. And I can't tell you that I get all excited about that. I definitely give them a hard blast of water. I scrub the pot. I check to see whether they need repotting if their roots are swimming out of bounds. But that's kind of all I do. I think this is the type of gardening that can be done in so many ways and lots of them result in decently healthy plants. I am now in the market for indoor grow lights because I have far more plants than windows that are handy for plants. I'm looking at some fairly inexpensive clamp type things with three kind of arms coming off of it on Amazon. These I'm going to put on a set of shelves that I have in a little room off the garage with no windows at all. If anybody has any great suggestions on this subject, please let me know. I have never done grow lights before. Okay, that's enough for this week. If you have any questions or comments, corrections, please reach out to me at Instagram. I'm Leslie Harris LH. My website is lhgardens.com and you can read the show notes and comment or just hit that like button. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Color Blends Bulbs, and all of the lovely music you hear is written and performed by my pal, Rusty Gear. This is Into the Garden with Leslie signing off on episode 106. I am into my garden, but I'm only just beginning to get into this one. I hope you are deeply entrenched in yours and I will see you next time.